Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 114 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. This Labor Day weekend, I was spending some time with friends and family down by the ocean, and I realized that there were quite a few tips, tricks, and facts I could share about making cocktails on the high seas, or at least in my personal case, on a quiet back bay tucked behind a nice gentle barrier island. In this episode, we'll cover a bit of the history, lore, and logistical realities associated with making and consuming cocktails on the water. But first, I've got one quick but important announcement. Our friends at Element Shrub have been nominated as one of USA Today's 10 Best Cocktail Mixers. And this is a crowdsourced competition where you can vote for your favorite mixers brand, so please do this. Head over to the show notes page, click on the link there, and place a vote for our friend Charlie Birkinshaw and his excellent line of shrubs. You can place one vote per day per IP address and internet browser, so that means you can place multiple votes on your computer and on your phone every day. This contest runs through September 23rd, and to sweeten the deal, here's what we at Modern Bar Cart are going to do. If you send us a screenshot of yourself voting to podcast at modernbarcart.com, we'll send you a custom coupon code for 20% off your next order from our e-commerce store. Big congratulations to Element Shrub for that huge honor. And now, let's do this. Before we hop on a boat, let's give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's nautical-featured cocktail is Navy Grog, which is an early proto-cocktail with a fascinating history. You could say that Grog is the grandfather of both the classic highball and the classic daiquiri, which is weird because those two drinks really aren't very similar at all. But let me explain. Initially, Grog was just water and rum diluted at a ratio of anywhere between 3 to 1 and 6 to 1. That's 3 to 6 parts water and 1 part rum. This served a couple of different purposes. First, it masked the taste of stagnant or bad water and helped kill certain microbes that you probably didn't want. And then secondly, it allowed sailors to stay on their feet without getting completely hammered. This would be the uncarbonated, unchilled, highball variant of Navy Grog. Now, there are some open questions about when and how sweetening and souring agents got added to the mix. Most people think this happened in the late 18th century when the British Navy mandated a citrus juice ration to combat scurvy, but it's entirely likely that individual sailors had been doping in sugar and citrus juice independently for quite a while before that. Think about it, if you've got something on hand to make your drink tastier and break up the boredom of the open ocean, you're probably going to go for it. Once the sweet and the sour get added to the mix, then we've got our proto-daiquiri. If you fast forward to the 20th century and beyond, most navy grogs are going to be made in the tiki tradition, which adds extra ingredients and ice to the equation. 
The following is a recipe taken from Jeff Beachbumberry's blog, and he's a pretty reliable resource on this subject because he's published more on tiki than pretty much anybody, alive or dead. His recipe for Navy Grog is as follows. Three quarters of an ounce each of lime juice, white grapefruit juice, and club soda. One ounce each of white Jamaican and Demerara rum. Those are three different rum varieties and one ounce of a one-to-one -one honey syrup. That's half honey, half water. You heat up the honey in the water, dissolve the honey in the water, which you can really only do with the addition of heat, and then that stores in the fridge so that it actually can get mixed into the cocktail. If you just pour honey into a cocktail, it's very, very difficult to integrate well. Thus, the syrupification. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, shake well, and then strain into your rocks glass over an ice cone. That's right, not a cube, a cone. This is a little ice innovation pioneered by Don the Beachcomber using crushed ice packed inside a Pilsner glass. And then it was perfected by a chain called Contiki during the mid to late 20th century. They actually developed a special metal cone for freezing these conical ice pieces that would wedge neatly inside a rocks glass. Admittedly, this last step is a bit tricky to execute at home, which is why it's one of life's great pleasures to enjoy a Navy Grog at a good tiki bar. But you know what? The tiki police probably aren't gonna break down your door and arrest you if you serve this cocktail over a single large rock. So, now that you receive your daily grog ration, let's set sail on the high seas and talk a little bit about the history and culture of cocktails on boats. Before the age of widespread transcontinental sea voyages, seaborne vessels called triremes were one of the primary trade vehicles throughout the Mediterranean. These ships, filled with rowers, traversed inland seas carrying wine, beer, food, spices, and other good stuff to trade. And we know this because numerous wrecks have been found containing amphorae, which are those tall clay vessels that Greeks and Romans loved to draw on, but more importantly, they liked to store wine in there. Ironically, these ancient mariners had it easy compared to the galleons and frigates of the Age of Exploration because they could generally carry enough food and water to get them from port to port without having to worry about spoilage. Of course, this isn't to say that ancient sailors didn't drink on boats, but the two key things to keep in mind are A, they didn't have to, and B, they didn't have access to distilled spirits. So in the ancient world, there really wasn't a whole lot of cocktail cruising going on. Obviously, this changed with the opening of transatlantic and global trade routes in the 15th through 19th centuries. During this several hundred year stretch in history, a lot of work was done in the proto-cocktail space. And what I mean by this is drinks that were moving in the direction of the cocktail, but weren't quite there based on our modern definition. You just heard about grog, initially the simplest of what we might call the great early boat cocktails, but as European influence spread to places like Africa, Asia, and the Caribbean, another proto-cocktail became ascendant, punch. Even though we haven't given traditional punch its own podcast episode just yet, we've talked about it a decent amount, so I won't bore our regular listeners with repetitive stuff. Instead, here are a few key takeaways. 
First off, punch is reportedly a derivative of the Sanskrit word panch, meaning five. This corresponds with the five ingredients in a classic punch, water, spirits, citrus, sugar, and spice. And there I listed those ingredients in descending order of how much you would put into a traditional punch. Second off, if grog was primarily a utilitarian drink, well, punch was an epicurean one. In other words, flavor and balance were the keys to a good punch. Recipes cropped up during a 200-year span with ingredients from the four corners of the earth, and everybody had their favorite. Finally, if you're curious about what punch has to do with boats and maritime drinking, it's all about access to those ingredients. The reason why punch was such a popular drink during this time period is because all of a sudden, Europeans and people in the Americas had access to a profusion of new ingredients in the sugar, spice, and citrus category. And if you want to walk through that math backwards, all you got to do is take punch, subtract sugar, spice, and citrus, and you come out with grog, right? You just worked your way backwards in cocktail history. So the evidence is pretty compelling. As naval technology improved and trade proliferated, drinking on boats and subsequently on land got more interesting and complex, heading in the ultimate direction of the cocktail. Now, let's fast forward to the Gilded Age, the mid to late 19th century. Contemporaneous with events like Jerry Thomas's publication of the first bartending guide, the outbreak of the American Civil War, and the development of legendary pre-prohibition cocktails like the Martinez, Manhattan, and Martini. At this point in time, boats probably don't seem that important to drinking culture. Yes, they're bringing a steady stream of immigrants to the U.S. from around the globe, and yes, Mark Twain's writing about paddle boats on the Mississippi, but besides that our historical consciousness is pretty much landlocked, at least here in the U.S. In this moment, I want to zoom in on one of San Francisco's most famous cocktails, the Pisco Punch. Because the Panama Canal was still decades away when the city boomed during and after the gold rush, the good people of the Golden State were pretty much relegated to foreign ingredients that could be sourced from the Pacific, and this meant that they had almost an exclusive line on Pisco, the Bolivian and or Peruvian brandy. And so, like New Orleans has the Sazerac and Cuba has the Daiquiri, San Francisco has an exclusive claim to the Pisco punch. I bring this up because even during times when it seems like all the cocktail actions taking place on dry land, maritime vessels and the resources they carry still have a massive impact on who's drinking what. And perhaps no time in our drinking history underscores this point more effectively than Prohibition, when rum runners ruled the waves and the imagination. Now, obviously, rum runners deserve their own episode. They really do. But here are a few facts about how and why certain enterprising individuals became infamous and illegal importers of the strong stuff. The first thing you should know is that Early in the 20th century, three nautical miles offshore constituted international waters in the United States. So this is where a number of rum runners set up shop to avoid apprehension and prosecution by local or federal authorities like the local boat police or the Coast Guard. The most famous of these rum runners was Bill McCoy. And if you've ever heard the term the real McCoy, well, it 
refers to him. He smuggled rum from the Bahamas up to a zone called Rum Row, where it could be picked up by enterprising ships and float planes. Bill's reputation for quality spirits is what earned him his nickname, and to this day, it indicates a genuine article, not a knockoff. Our rum-running hero is also partially responsible for the influx of quality European spirits into the U.S., kind of partway through Prohibition, when he pioneered the use of several small islands off the coast of Newfoundland as holding bases from which the whiskey, champagne, and gin could be smuggled quickly into the U.S. Early on during Prohibition, most illegal spirits were made domestically here in the U.S., but as the rules and the kind of forces at play during Prohibition became clarified, more and more spirits came in from Europe and Canada and, and other mainstream distilling countries where Prohibition was not in place. Needless to say, naval influence played a huge part in the history of the cocktail straight through Prohibition. But when commercial air travel boomed in the mid-20th century, ships and their captains and crew were no longer the stars of the show. They became just another cog in the capitalist machine that continues to move bottles and ingredients across the globe to this day. But just because boats aren't making much cocktail history these days doesn't mean you can't enjoy drinking on them, right? In fact, we've got a great video that'll launch in association with this podcast episode, and in it, I break down my top five tips for preparing and enjoying cocktails when you're out on the water. You can check this video out on our YouTube channel, of course, along with some other excellent videos we published recently, and you can also stream it straight from the show notes page where we'll have the full breakdown of all my best tips and tricks. So if you think you might be on the water at some point in the near future, definitely head to YouTube, head to the show notes page, check those things out. I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but this video definitely involves a completely beached speedboat, a scuba Barbie, and me doing the backstroke. So I'm not saying it's the best video ever published, but definitely top 10. Thanks for joining me for this post-Labor Day installment of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. Until next time, I'm Modern Bar Cart CEO Eric Koslick, reminding you to keep your sextant in your pants, study up on your semaphore, and enjoy your next cocktail on a boat, if at all possible. Cheers. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. 
Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed. A great boating video thanks to Captain Pete Murphy and my beautiful, talented film crew, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2019.